On this episode of First Lady and Friends, I had a great conversation with Katie Donneville, Executive Director at English Skills Learning Center. I had the opportunity to visit uh, this organization and do some teaching myself. It was really fun to reconnect with her and, and learn about her students and where they are now and what they're doing and the amazing things that are happening there. Can't wait for you to take a listen. Let's get proximate. We are back here on First Lady and Friends. Uh, so excited for you to meet this amazing guest. It's somebody that I've uh, just met recently, and we had a great conversation. Her name is Katie Donneville, uh, the executive director at English Skills Learning Center. Uh, we did a tour of your place and your your um, organization, and it was amazing. So I, I want to get into that. But first, let's, let's talk about you, Katie. Let's talk about your background. Just tell us a little bit about you, like where you grew up and stuff, and, and a little bit about your family. So I'm from Arizona, and I grew up in a small rural area in the mountains of Arizona. Sp- where at? I feel like I spend half my life explaining. I know. Like, I didn't I know, grow I up in the desert. I grew up in the <laughs> mountains of Arizona. So uh, the closest town that people may be familiar with is Sholo. Yes. Uh, so we grew up outside of that okay. in Linden. Okay. Uh, so very. So I have a sister area. that lives in. You may not know. I don't know. Concho. Do you know where Concho yes, is? I do. Yeah. I have a sister same, that lives in Concho same area, yeah. like White Mountains of Arizona. Very cool. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Nice. So I grew up there. Um, yeah. Went through uh, high school there. Uh, I'm a first generation college student, and mm. in high school, my saving grace, <laughs> somebody at the high school, uh, kind of. Noticed a path I was on and said, hey, I don't think you're being challenged enough. Maybe you should check out this program that was – it paid for community college classes during high school. And I wasn't sure if college was going to be an option for me. And I was like, well, somebody believes in me and thinks that I can do this. And I leaned into that pretty heavily. um, And I actually got my associate's degree during high school uh, and then went on to – get my bachelor's degree, and then later my master's at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and then I spent some time teaching at NAU as well. It just kind of became my home, Flagstaff, for a long time. It's where, where I met my husband. Um, he was born in Ogden, uh, and I kind of kept him in Arizona, I think, longer than he <laughs> anticipated. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, after we were married and living in Arizona for a while, he said, you know, I, I really want to get back to Utah, where my family's from, and so here we are. We've been here for seven years now, and both on solid career paths here. We have two children and just loving every minute of life lately. It seems like everything's just going really well, and uh, it's great to be in that space. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, So what what did you study when you were Mm -hmm. there in in Arizona? and you know how did that? How how did your you know how did your journey get you here um, career wise? Yeah, so we kind of laugh about my story and my family because I came home from the first day of kindergarten and said, "I'm going to be a teacher," <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of like, oh, "Okay, yeah, sure." And then I, you know, kept coming home from school saying, "I'm going to be a teacher," and it just kind of stuck. So I've joked that I've wanted to be a teacher my whole life. Um, so yeah, I studied in. In seventh grade, the I want to be a teacher became I want to be a seventh grade teacher. And then in eighth grade, it was still I want to be a seventh grade teacher. Oh. And a lot of people 
you know, think I'm a little off my rocker for wanting to teach junior high at that time. Well, I was going to say, there's a special place in heaven yes. for people, for middle school teachers, <laughs> yeah, I will say. <laughs> I think there there was just something about um, my experience at that time, too, that I just, I'm really fascinated personally about, um, like, neurodevelopment and mm-hmm. psychology and how people work, right? I'm so interested in people. And I think that was such a time when people are, you know, these young kids are developing in ways that they don't quite understand and their brains literally can't process uh, decisions that they're trying to make. And there's so much social pressure. And I had so many teachers at that time that were really supportive and that just kind of stuck with me. So when I studied my bachelor's, I studied uh, secondary language arts. So reading, writing, but not necessarily language learners, uh, just more of the language arts side of things. And I was in my student teaching placement at a high school, and the teacher I was placed with at the time, uh, she introduced me to the class and kind of said, these people in the front are going to work really hard, and they're engaged, and all those people in the back, don't worry about it. And Mm. then I said, wow. What? Uh, And that was heartbreaking for multiple reasons, but especially as a new teacher, it was just like I wasn't going to stand for that. So, of course, me being me, I really got to know the students in the back and trying to figure out, you know, what was going on there. And I quickly learned that all of them had just graduated the previous year out of the sheltered English immersion program. So this was their first time in a mainstream English speaking class. Uh, And that just kind of ignited this, like, English learners are not being served well in schools, and I got to figure out what to do about this. Uh, And so I, yeah, I taught for a little while and then went right back into my master's, essentially, in teaching English as a second language to learn everything I possibly could about how people learn languages and how we can reach people effectively. Uh, And then from there... It was just kind of one thing led to another. I, I started working at the university as a teaching assistant to, you know, work my way through my program and started teaching rhetoric and composition, um, both to people who had matriculated into the university, but also people who were in the intensive English language program at the college. So I was kind of the last course before people matriculated their first credit bearing course, uh, giving them an insight into academic writing and all that comes along with that. And then I made this drastic shift when we moved to Utah. Uh, We knew we were making this move and we knew it was the right decision for us and starting our family and where we wanted to be, but I had no idea what I was going to do for my career. Uh, And so I started searching, you know, about all the universities in Utah, started looking at high schools and junior highs again, and then said, you know, I I think I need to be involved in something more grassroots, community-based. Like, I wanted wanted something in adult education. And then I came across the English Skills Learning Center kind of on a whim, knew nothing about the organization, and applied for a program coordinator position. Um, And, yeah, that's how I started at the organization. Mm -hmm. And we kind of laugh about it now because – we live in West Haven, and the ESLC is situated in Salt Lake County. And when I first started at the organization, I said, well, I'll, well, I'll start doing this, and then I'll find something closer to home. And seven years later, 
You're still here. I am <laughs> in the executive director position. Uh, yeah, no plans of leaving this work anytime soon because I just love mm-hmm. everything that we're doing and how it's evolved. And um, yeah, it's just one thing's led to another, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, and 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 great doors that have opened because I mean you're doing incredible work. We had a, you know, you and I met because uh, you know with our show up team, especially especially uh, specifically our our service organization, our service committee. We we've been going around doing visits with different nonprofits around the state, um, really trying to understand the the volunteer space, the nonprofit space, and and for us, it's really trying to connect. You know, we don't want to reinvent anything. We want to just elevate, you know, the incredible work. There's so many great, just phenomenal uh, nonprofits in the state that are doing critical work for our communities. And so for, for us, it's really kind of understanding that ecosystem, kind of understanding that, you know, the players and, and the people that are doing this work and how do we connect them and how do we uplift them. And so it's been really fun. So we came and visited and, and we got some hands-on experience, which was really, really fun. So maybe talk a little bit about um, the English uh, Skills Learning Center. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, your program um, and and what you have available there and maybe a little bit of who you serve. Yeah, uh, I definitely I'm so passionate about what we do that sometimes I can just go on and get into these technical terms. And so I really started telling people about our organization by introducing them to three people. So I'm going to introduce you to three people. (laughs) So uh, Goy McConan, she is a refugee from Eritrea. She in Eritrea had less than five years of schooling. And she's now working at a Desert Industries location that we partner with. And a part of their employment is that they're in English classes with us. So 12 hours of the week is English class. And the rest of her job is, you know, on the floor gaining work training skills, um, typical of DI programs uh, elsewhere. So this program is specifically for people who have never learned to read or write in any language. So very unique uh, student population. They're not coming with maybe knowledge of how formal classrooms operate. They don't have literacy skills in their primary language to pull on. So they're learning a second language, literacy, kind of expectations of a classroom all at once. Um, Goy, in the program, within two years, she made three level gains on our speaking assessment and two level gains on our reading assessment. Uh, and to give you some kind of idea about this progress, the, the research is showing like 500 to 1,000 hours of instructional time to make one level gain for this mm. population. So she's surpassing that um, greatly with her gains. And so this is the first person I want to introduce you to, Goy. <laughs> so second person is Tony Myers. And Tony has been volunteering with us for five years. She... Uh, comes with a background of, you know, database knowledge and creation and working in different spaces uh, within the more, like, back-end side of adult education. And she watched this documentary called Rain in a Dry Land. Highly recommend it. Mm. Uh, And she just was so inspired to work with refugee and immigrant populations. And so she came to us and basically said, how can I help? Like, full open book. (laughs) Like, here's my background. Here's my experience. What can I do to help? Uh, and she's since then been, you know, leading classroom instruction. She's does data entry things around the office. 
uh, works with us in a number of ways. For the past five years, she's been engaged with us. Uh, and the next person I want to introduce you to is uh, T. Vu Mims. And I'll start by saying uh, T. was taken from this world way too soon. But mm. during her time on Earth, she was committed to lifting up historically marginalized voices. Um, she's a daughter of Vietnamese refugees, and she wants to really connect people uh, in a way that she did through her professional life at Slick and in her personal life starting a bakery, Mims, Mims Bakery, that she was engaged with us as a board member and a volunteer in our classroom. She was starting that process to volunteer in our classrooms and just really speaks to the spirit of what it means to be an engaged community member and mm-hmm. and trying to make a difference. Like that was her in yeah. everything that she did from her professional life to raising her own kids as well. Um, and so I, I introduced you to these three people, um, what these people have in common. <laughs> They've all received awards from the SLC. So mm-hmm. Goy was our learner of the year last year. Uh, Tony was our Jean and Bruce Bingham Literacy Legacy Award winner. And he, we honored her with um, the first Community Voices Award. All of them came to us with this willingness to learn and engage and with the understanding that every single one of them played a part in successful integration. Mm-hmm. And that is maybe what makes the ESLC a little bit different in the way that we, we approach things is – uh, one technical term that I will use and I do want to spread and teach about is two-way mutual integration. So this idea that if one new person comes into the community, the community is different now. It's a new community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every single person in that community is now responsible for making that community stronger and greater and whole again. Mm-hmm. So this is how we approach everything that we do at the ESLC, is how do all community members participate in successful integration and what does that look like? Um, So for English-speaking community members, uh, they can come to us and learn skills of being a classroom volunteer or they can uh, attend these trainings that we do. Sometimes we hold trainings about... um, modifying your speech when you're talking to somebody who's learning English to make it a little bit easier. So English speakers can carry some of that burden, Uh, not burden even, just some of the weight of, you know, how much pressure is on language learners to get it right. Uh, We can can do things to adjust our language when speaking to people. Uh, So we, we hold these trainings like this. And then we also have a book club, which is called the Speakeasy. And this is a kind of a play on words here. Uh, speakeasies historically have been, you know, a place that people can go and and be free and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. let loose a little bit. And this is kind of what we wanted to do with the speakeasy was that it can be a place to speak easily about really complex topics mm. and people can come read. Uh, We do a book a month, and the book is usually a memoir about a refugee or immigrant experience. People can come and ask the difficult questions, Mm -hmm. right? Or just the curious questions. or um, And then we as the staff and maybe other community members who attend the book club can 
challenge and educate mm-hmm. some of the ideas that are brought up uh, based off of the experiences that we know our student population has. Uh, one of the reasons that we do it this way is because community members um, ha- with the best intentions will often ask refugees and immigrants about their experiences and without realizing that they may be re-traumatizing mm-hmm. or creating this power dynamic mm-hmm. um, within the community that is not healthy. So we've created this space to kind of alleviate some of that pressure and people can still ask questions, but we're playing our part in avoiding re-traumatization. And then for English language learners, uh, we have a variety of different programs that are kind of rooted in foundational literacy, citizenship preparation, family literacy, and workplace training. Mm -hmm. So all of our programs are content-based, so they're learning English alongside with some skill, hence English (laughs) Skills Learning Center. (laughs) So a lot of people say, like, oh, you do ESL, and we joke because the name of our organization was very intentionally created um, because ESL is is outdated. It's an outdated term. Uh, Most of our students are fluent in, like, seven, eight languages. This isn't their second language when they're coming to us, and so it's kind of a play on words of... It's English skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, So everything that we're learning is tied to some specific skill. Uh, We do our best to really make it relevant as adult education should be, uh, along with age-appropriate and (laughs) trauma-informed. Yeah. Uh, So if people are learning about transportation, they're not just learning, like, basic vocabulary about transportation. They're learning, um, like, what UTA is and Mm – what the terms are that they would need to successfully navigate that on their own. So it's really tied to community need. Mm. Um, and that's kind of how the ESLC has evolved throughout its uh, inception. We started as a literacy organization uh, in 1988 for anybody who needed literacy skills. And mm. as demographics of Salt Lake changed, we changed to focus on um, English language learners. And we've just been adapting and evolving to community need and requests since then. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. It's such an incredible mission and, and you guys are doing it so well. Um, I want to keep talking about uh, this and, and your student population. I want to have you share maybe some more stories, uh, especially as we get into it. Uh, mm-hmm. um, we had such a great experience there too. So we'll do that when we come right back. We're back here with Katie Donneville. She's the executive director of English Skills Learning Center. And we had such a great time when we went um, to visit you because, you know, sometimes we go on these these visits and and they're great and so much information, which we got there as well. But like uh, we actually had a hands-on experience and – you know, being from a teaching background myself and and actually being from early childhood – and, you know, uh, people with disabilities, it actually was so interesting to me because it, it felt it it felt really great to to be back in a classroom. Of course, the students that were there are, you know, again, are very uh, different. These are adults learning um, to read sometimes in the like you said, the this is the first language they're learning how to read Um I thought it was really interesting. We we had such a great experience working with with folks that um, you know we we the particular activity we were doing was learning how to read a clock, which is really interesting because I, it's one of those things I think 
Well, maybe I need to go back and teach my kids because my kids still don't. <laughs> I think in schools they were like, okay, that's a nice skill, but I don't have to use it, right? Yeah. Like, so this is an interesting skill. Um, but they were so delightful, absolutely delightful. These these folks were so genuinely um, humble and and eager to learn and trying so hard and and after i left i remember thinking my goodness they are brave and they are strong and they are smart because i think about me trying to learn to read and all these other skills not just reading but all these other you know really like you said really important skills and life skills at my age like i can't even memorize anything anymore i can't imagine Learning this skill for the first time at, you know, and some of them were older than me. Some of them were, you know, well into their older ages. And I just, anyway, I just came away with a new appreciation for the struggle and for the hard work and for the trauma that they've been through that brought them to this place at this moment. Um, you, I always say this about refugees and, and the immigrant population. Nobody wanted to leave. They didn't want to leave their country. They didn't want to leave their homes. They didn't want, um, nobody wants to do that. Um, it wasn't, you know, like a deliberate choice. Like I am trying to, you know, no, they didn't have the privilege of, of deciding they wanted like you, you know, I want to relocate to Utah. I mean, that's not what this is. Imagine the situation that lets you look at your family and your life and where you were born in your home country and make the choice to to leave. Yeah. That's big. That's yes. not a choice taken lightly and yeah, it's not a choice at all. Right, when you get most to that of the time, especially if you're a refugee, you have been resettlement, right? Yeah. That's, you have been yeah, forced, forced out either because of war or because of um, you know, Persecution in some way, mm-hmm. um, usually after tremendous trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, trauma that we, myself personally, I can't even fathom. Um, you know, when I've listened to people's stories, I just, it's a kind of heartbreak that I, it's really hard to even process. And so um, anyway, I just, I loved their, their spirit. They were just, all of them were just really, really incredible. So maybe talk a little bit about your population. What are you seeing? How does that trauma affect their ability to learn? How does the, how how does their strength help them? You know, what are, what are some things that you're seeing from them? Yeah. I, I know we do tend to focus on like, oh gosh, people have had such hard lives and They've been through so much and there's so much trauma involved. And um, yes, that is all true. But there's also these like great strengths that come with Mm. that. And resilience is often a word that I use to describe the refugee population specifically is just resilient, like the most resourceful people to be able to up and leave with nothing and and navigate that whole system and go through, um, you know, if you're familiar with the, the long process of that it comes to go through refugee resettlement uh, and start over uh, resilient is is the word right Um, and some of the students that you were working with so you were also in a class of adult emergent readers so people learning to read and write for the first time 
Um, I'll tell you, we j- we took a short break of classes during June, and so they just started back up now in July. And one of our program coordinators was just saying that she met with a student, and she immediately said, I studied. And she mm-hmm. said all of the vocab words that they had been learning before they left in June. The program coordinator was like, <laughs> what? There's not a notebook somewhere that these are written down because the person doesn't have literacy. So really how you're saying, like, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast, right? The skills that come from um, people from, you know, oral storytelling backgrounds, um, it's just different than what we're used to. We're such a literacy-based society. So sometimes it's it's just great to see, like, you have a skill set that I don't have (laughs) probably never will for certain reasons and so we definitely approach that in the classroom with this you know strength-based approach of what skills do our students have and how can we you know use that in our classroom instruction and the same with trauma Um, you know I mentioned earlier that I'm really interested in neuroscience and it's just something that always fascinates me Mm -hmm. and there is a real uh there are structural chemical things that happen in your brain when uh when it comes to trauma and storing memory and storing new information and being able to learn and so something that we strive for at the SLC is creating uh instruction that follows what we call um the teacher type is a warm demander so somebody who can build relationships and have a strong rapport with their students but also has high expectations in the classroom. Um, And this concept, you know, I first heard this concept come from uh, this book, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain by Zaretta Hammond. It's amazing. Any educators out there, just just buy it and read it. (laughs) Changed my whole whole approach on um, how we're doing this at the ESLC. It was kind of, uh, you know, came from that book. Mm. So... We do these workshops as well for other educators to know how to be trauma-informed in your classrooms. Uh, things even like for listeners, we're sitting here right now and we're we're not across the table, but we're kind of next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, if you sit across from the table from somebody, there's this power dynamic that's uh, created. And in a lot of cases, it can um, kind of represent or remind people of like being in an interrogation room Mm -hmm. or you know even we're we're sitting here looking at the doorway and I can clearly see an exit which makes me feel safe Mm -hmm. whereas if I were sitting maybe facing this way and couldn't see the exit or who's coming in or out that might make me if I have a trauma background make me feel a little bit uncomfortable so there there are like these tiny things that you can do in a classroom space that you know we want to make sure we're we're kind of facing students towards the like they can see an exit and they know mm. where it's at and anything from those tiny things that just start yeah. straight from the beginning that you might not think about all the way to, um, you know, the type of content we're discussing in the classroom and um, and then how to respond to somebody who is in crisis and has mm-hmm. been triggered and, mm-hmm. and how to navigate that in a classroom. So we teach all those skills wow. <laughs> um, in our trainings and to our staff and volunteers, everybody's equipped with that knowledge just so we can create the safe space. And uh, I think one of the important things and misconceptions about working with people who experience trauma too is, and I hear this a lot, just (laughs) that, you know, you have to avoid 
um, triggering somebody. We have to just totally sidestep anything that could be a potential trigger. And uh, that is taking so much agency away from people uh, and trying to avoid topics isn't it's not possible for mm-hmm. you to know what somebody's trigger is. And oftentimes people don't even know what their own triggers are mm-hmm. until they happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always just talk about, you know, how how we can be smart about things that are obvious triggers, right? If there's um, vocabulary word in our health literacy class about a bruise, we're not going to make that bruise on a picture of a woman's face or right. um, on somebody's arm. It's going to be in a scene where uh, somebody's in a park and they're on the ground holding their leg and there's a bruise on their leg. So right. you can see exactly how this the situation. Yeah. Uh, so it's not, uh, we're, you know, we can still talk about the topics and we can be smart about what we introduce and how we introduce it, but we don't want to avoid anything mm. because we are working with adults who are resilient yeah. and we just want to be able to know how to navigate those situations mm. if they do arise. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, um, you know, you think about that and, and really creating, I love the idea of creating an environment that that's conducive to their learning, um, you know, growing up, you know, or, go, you know, going into my, you know, early childhood field that I did, we talk a lot about setting up that classroom environment so that it's a, it, it the environment itself can be, um, a place of learning and, um, and, 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 and is conducive to learning. So I love that concept. I love that you're doing that there. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, the successes that you're seeing and maybe what, you know, where, where your students are now and, and some of the, some of the uh, paths that they've taken. And we'll do that when we come right back. We're back here with Katie Donneville, the executive director at English Skills Learning Center. Um, it was, again, I just, I, that's why I wanted to have you on here because we had such a great experience. And um, I just think when we connect as humans, it's it's always a beautiful moment. And anytime I get to know somebody that has a different story than me is when I grow, is when I learn, it's when I can appreciate um, the humanity that I see around me. And so I, I just love that experience. So I really appreciate you letting us come in and, and participate in the in the process and help them, uh, let them help me to understand, um, you know, and learn from them. Um, I want to talk about successes. Let's talk about, um, you know, where are some of your students now? Let's do a, where are they now yeah. thing and, and, and talk about maybe some of those success stories. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause, uh, language learning is such a long journey sometimes. And at the ESLC, we focus on, you know, very beginning students all the way up to lower intermediate. So sometimes when students, uh, quote unquote, graduate our programs, they're not done yet. There's there's still a long way to go. And that might be a referral to another adult education setting or or something else, you know, career path. Um, And so sometimes we don't see the full extent of the process until years later. Um, we have these little successes every day, of course, in class and things that are happening that are really great. Uh, actually, I just had one of these experiences probably two months ago. I went to an uh, end-of-the-year celebration at the Glendale Mountain View Community Learning Center, which is – we've held classes there historically, a great partner. And one of the attendees at the event was a student of mine from five years ago, and – 
so we both just kind of looked at each other like, oh, yeah, hi, uh, like, how are you? Let's catch up and see where you're at. And she always told me in class, you know, she wanted to learn English and she really loved gardening, but she knew that that is not a career. <laughs> and I, I always tell everyone, like, get curious is my thing all the time. Get curious about that. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so maybe not in those words that I used with her, um, but like anything's possible. So catching up with her, we had this whole conversation in English about mm-hmm. uh, where she is now. I was actually pregnant with my oldest daughter at the time that I was teaching her class. So I guess it's been four years now. Uh, we had this whole conversation in English, catching up about everything. And then she just told me that she just started – she started a program for elementary school students to learn about gardening – Really? Vegetables and flowers and life cycle of plants. It's like an after-school program at some of the Title I schools. And she's running it, and that's what she does for her full-time work now. Oh, my word. It was word. just one of those moments that is, like, you did it. Yeah. You, you, you know. Yeah. You created what you thought wasn't even possible. Um, and that's like, you know, we talk about this concept of the American dream, and that can, that can mean many things to different people, but... I think part of what that means is anything is open to you. Like the possibilities are there while there might be barriers that exist and, and other things. The idea that the possibility is there, she she really leaned into that. And mm-hmm. it was just fun to see that success after so many years. It's kind of circle back. Oh, I love that. I think it's always that's that's kind of that that payday. <laughs> yeah. When you think I'm I'm working so hard. I mean, you you see it with your own kids. I see it with my kids. Like, there's it's just like day in and day out working. And you're like, and you know, coming from a special education background, you know, sometimes those those successes or you're not seeing the progress always until um, until maybe all of a sudden you do, you know, mm-hmm. and so and and something happens or or you've spent, you know, a lot of time or they've spent their, you know, they're working their guts out and they've they finally have that breakthrough moment. So I, I love to see that maybe as we end, let's just talk about, um, you know, what what has surprised you in this work? What what's something unexpected that you've experienced? Love this question. It, I feel like I'm surprised all the time yeah. in in a number of ways. But um, I I think maybe I had a very narrow view of teacher training and volunteers when I started at the ASLC, which. I know if, like, my team's listening to this right now, they're going to gasp at me even talking <laughs> about this. But I think I definitely came in um, when I first started working at the ASLC. And, you know, it was – we used volunteers to teach our classrooms. I had this, like uh, – <laughs> like, I have a master's degree in yeah, teaching English. There's, second language, and there's so, so many yeah. skills. And, and there's, you know, this training process. And, and I think I doubted the effectiveness that volunteers could have in the classroom. Mm. And like that has been surprising on multiple levels because now I'm not even, (laughs) I one don't even question using volunteers in classrooms, but I actually advocate like in spaces we have some partners who are asking like, Oh, Oh, paid instructors only. And I'm like, "Uh, maybe volunteers as classroom assistants. Like there's, there's a true purpose uh, to having volunteers in the classroom for 
for everyone. Like mm. the volunteers learn something, the students learn something, but I think something about people who are trained uh, in teaching English as a second language or even speech pathology, right? <laughs> like you, yeah. you get an ear for things. And so if I'm talking to somebody um, who has a specific language background, like I know the sounds that are similar and so the sounds that they might mix up or mm-hmm. the way that they're producing language and how that connects to their primary language. And volunteers might not know that. And so there becomes this true, we call it productive struggle, um, and negotiation of meaning that happens where, like, both volunteers and uh, language learners have to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. and navigate these real-world situations. Like, I always say the bus driver, and I don't know why I pick on the bus driver. Sorry to all the bus drivers out there. But <laughs> I always say, like, the bus driver might not be able to understand you as well as I can. And so mm-hmm. the goal is, like, how do you, how can you communicate with the bus driver? Yeah. Uh, and that might require students to say, like, I don't understand you, or please say that again slowly, or mm. learn these self-advocacy skills. Mm. Um, and the same thing with volunteers, to say, like, I don't understand you, and maybe that's my fault and not your fault, mm. <laughs> and admit that there's, you know, a two-way process there. So I think the most surprising thing to me, uh, you know, I made a conscious choice to switch to community-based work. Uh, and it's just continued to surprise me in the ways that it truly is community building. And we're we're seeing huge success in that in ways that I don't think I even realized mm. when I made that decision. Like I didn't even imagine the extent of what's possible when community members come together mm. uh, and kind of, you know, something I hear you talk about a lot is – like when you get to know people, mm-hmm. you learn and you grow. Like that whole concept surprises me every day. Mm, I love that. That's that's amazing. And and I think um, uh, people like you are are making a huge difference in the world because of of your openness and your and your willingness to to learn and do it in a better way and figure things out and and listen to people that that have a story to tell and, and have, have, um, beautiful things to teach us. Uh, I appreciate what you do. And, and again, you're one of those great partners in the community that's, that's making a difference. So I really appreciate that. And this has been a great, a great time to get to know you and, and what you're doing. And, and again, we're, we're big fans and we're, and we're big supporters of what you're doing. So keep, keep it up and we'll do what we can to support. Likewise, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. (laughs) Katie and the ESLC team are having an annual picnic in the park. It's on September 8th from 5 to 8 p.m. at Fitz Park in South Salt Lake. It's a family event. It's their 35th anniversary event. The first 200 people get meals. Bring your family, but don't bring your dogs. And you can find more information at eslcenter.org. Thanks for being a friend.